So you can grab your Bible and jump there. Get near the end of 1 Samuel here and uh, chapter 29. And I'll just mention a, a couple other things too. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to uh, have a luncheon after church, okay? We got a bunch of leftovers that we got to take care of. Are you guys okay with that? Uh, from camp on our September long weekend. So we're going to do Build Your Own Sandwich Sunday next week, okay? So that'll be uh, after church. We'll stick around and have some lunch together. So sweet. Is anybody feeling tired this morning? Oh, man, Calvin told me it's the barometric pressure. I said, man, I feel so sleepy. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. This weather changed quick, didn't it? So now we're in for our fall rain. So awesome. Are you there in your Bibles? Chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and it's so good to be together, God hanging out, worshiping you, and to come now and spend time in your word, Father. It's just our heart and our desire to be led towards Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take our hearts and the things that are going on in our lives and that you would just walk us right to your son, Jesus. And so may your spirit um, speak to each of our hearts, Lord. We just give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're getting to the end here, 1 Samuel. And uh, this thing's wobbling away on me here this morning. There we go. And 1 Samuel chapter 27, really to 31, kind of tells this narrative that switches back and forth between Saul and David. So we're spending some time with Saul, then we jump back to David, with Saul, with David, and bouncing back and forth a little bit. And these events are actually happening at the same time. So here's where we left off. What we saw was this, <laughs> the story of Saul and the witch of Endor. The Philistines had gathered. They were reestablishing their authority and uh, dominance inside the territory of Israel. They got their army together. They're there in the Valley of Jezreel where the Battle of Armageddon is going to happen in the future. Um, Saul had gathered the armies of Israel, and when he had seen the Philistine army in his fear of what was about to happen, he sought the Lord, and the Lord didn't answer him. And so we saw this, that Saul turned to... Uh, visit a medium, the witch of Endor. That's where we left off. And so now we found out this, that Saul is going to die in this battle. Now the story flips back to David and we get on the other side of the battle lines. So let me remind you what's been going on with David. David for 18 months has been living amongst the Philistines in the city of Ziklag, down in the, in the southern end of the Philistine territory. Um, he had been confessing his loyalty to King Achish, the Philistine king, and claiming that he had been raiding Israelite communities when actually he was raiding Canaanite communities and, and their people. And now the Philistines have gathered. David's been faking this loyalty to the Philistines. The Philistines have gathered all of their men of war to take on Israel and David is left with this reality that he is going to have to join the Philistines and fight against his own people, Israel. It's either that or, uh, you know, he's going to have to double cross the Philistines. And so he's worked himself into a pretty bad spot. That's what I want you to see this morning as we get started. David's in a bad spot between the people of God, Israel, and the enemies of God's people, the Philistines. If he remains loyal to Achish, it means he's going to have to fight against his own Hebrew brothers in war. And if he defects to Israel, it means he's going to have to fight his way out of the, the middle of the Philistine army. 
And so this is the proverbial, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place. This is David, okay? This is, have you ever got yourself into one of those in life? Between the rock and the hard place. This is like not some inconsequential decision. Like the other night, we had some of mom's apple pie, and it was like, do you want ice cream with the apple pie? Like that doesn't matter. It's win-win, right? But, you know, sometimes you get caught in, in, in spots where there are consequences to your decisions. You know, I think about, I was thinking about different things that I do at home, and, and sometimes one of the things that guards me in my decisions is, how is my wife going to respond to what I do here? There's consequences to these decisions. This is where David is, between the rock and the hard spot. So let's check it out. Verse 1, it says this. Now the Philistines had gathered all of their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he has deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back. Send the man back that he may return to the place which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest, the battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is this not David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So this is, this is a great scene. The Philistines are gathering for war. They've gathered their armies. The lords and the Philistine commanders are walking amongst their armies. And on the other side of the battle line is Saul with the army of Israel. It's getting real as these Philistine lords walk, walk amongst their armed men. And King Achish rolls up with David and 600 Hebrews, 600 Israelites, whom he expects to go to war with the Philistines against Israel. And, and the other commanders are astonished. They're like, are you serious? You think that this guy's going to battle with us against Israel? He's going to fight alongside this guy. Akish, wake up. Give your head a shake. You know, David, his claim to fame was that he had struck down tens of thousands of Philistines. And what better way to win back the favor of King Saul than to turn on us? There's no way this guy is going into battle with us, they tell Akish. I love what the uh, Philistine commanders ask in verse 3. They say this, what are these Hebrews doing here? What are they doing here? It's terrible when the children of this world have a higher sense of good manners and morality and what is right and wrong than the people of God. When they recognize, hey, what are God's people doing here? How did they get here? Don't they serve someone else? Don't they exist for another kingdom? How did they get in this certain situation or this circumstance? Isn't that guy a Christian? Doesn't she go to church? What are they doing here? What are these Hebrews doing here? 
It's funny, he doesn't say Israelites. He, he says Hebrews, these commanders. What are the Hebrews doing here? Hebrew is a designation for ancient Israelites. It means one who has passed over from one side to the other. It means a separatist. One from beyond or one from the other side. And the word of God teaches us this, that in Christ, we, church, have passed over. We have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light. We have passed from death into life. And Paul had to say this to the church in Corinth. He had to say to them, what agreement is there between the temple of God with idols? 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17. He said to the church, for we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. It's part of being a holy people. And too often, that command is unheeded by the people of God. Sometimes it's because we're afraid of people. It's afraid, afraid to be different, afraid of culture. Too often, the fear of man leads us to mingle with the enemies of God. And the word of God tells us that the fear of man is a snare. David took refuge amongst the Philistines. Why was he there in the first place? Because he was afraid of a man. He was afraid of Saul. And he had put himself between the rock and a hard place, caught in a terrible situation. But what's so beautiful about this story is that God in his providence is going to intervene in David's situation to protect him. I'm so glad the Lord does that, don't you? Man, how many times have you got yourself in a rock and a hard place and the Lord intervened? I put myself there. But God in his providence, in his protective care, in his mercy, in his grace, how many times has he come to our rescue? Amen. It was certainly nothing David had done to deserve God's intervention. I, I you know, he's put himself in this spot. And I think about these Philistine lords, you know, with Achish, I bet in the years to come, you know, as David becomes the king and he starts dropping the hammer again on the Philistines, that they would get together and sit around, you know, and have a discussion. They say, remember that time Achish thought he'd bring David to fight with us? What an idiot. We're going to battle against this guy right now. But this is the story. So verse six, then Achish called David and said to him, as the Lord lives, you have been honest and it seems right that you should march out with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong with you in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Now I read that and I have to say, hold on, Achish. <laughs> There's a little bit of irony here um, because the truth is, David has not been reliable, you guys. We have to call it what it is. He's been doing one thing and claiming, to, claiming something else, attacking Gentile towns and then telling the Philistine king that he's actually attacking Israelite communities. And David keeps up the pretense. He keeps playing along here, putting on the act, playing the game. Verse 8, David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go 
and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king. And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. I read this and I bet, man, David was relieved. Got out of that one. Amazing. Amazingly, the only reference to the Lord in this chapter comes from the Philistine king in verse 6. You know, there are times when I feel like I could look at my life or you could look at our, your own life and we put ourselves in similar situations to David when your life doesn't actually make much reference to the Lord. Do you ever feel like that? Man, I don't feel like my life is making a ton of reference to the Lord. I can't identify in my life a lot of actions of faith. You know, the world might be able to say of me, what are these Hebrews doing here? What is this Christian doing here? And you know, you have to wonder at the start of this chapter how David would escape this situation with his life. And it's amazing. God intervenes. God makes a way. You know, when he, you know, would look back at this point in his life and this situation, I imagine that he was like, man, Lord, I'm so thankful that you, you clearly act in spite of myself. You know, I remember when I was, I was 17, set in the direction for my life. It wasn't in pursuit of the Lord. And then the Lord intervened and I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't like what was happening in my life. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but now I look back and I go, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your providence. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you intervened to correct my course. And maybe now we look at life. We look around our world. We're not sure what's going on. We're filled with lots of questions. Well, could it be that the Lord is doing in our lives and in our church right now more than we can actually appreciate in the moment? We're going to look back, church, and we're going to say, God, you were good. You were faithful. You, you, in your providence, protected us. And so it makes me think, don't be afraid of man. Don't forget that God is in control. Trust him. And so Achish does this as, as God, I think, intervenes on David's behalf. Achish releases David and his men. And they were living in the southern portion of Philistine territory in the city of Ziklag, so they head off home. Now, it's amazing that as they were leaving this battle scene, the book of First Chronicles chapter 12, I would encourage you, go home this afternoon and look this up for yourself or go check out First Chronicles chapter 12. It tells us that at this point, as David was leaving Achish to return to Ziklag, that men from the tribe of Manasseh, began to desert from Saul and join David. That's amazing. They actually, in the midst of this, David's not in any great position spiritually or by his own decision. Yet in this moment, as he leaves the Philistine army, commanders of thousands from the army of Israel begin to join him. 
men of valor, the scripture says, men who would help him in the account that we're about to read in a moment. In fact, at this point in 1 Chronicles, it's actually in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 22, it records that from this day, every day men began to join with David until they became like an army of God. God is waking David up from his slumber. 18 months of life on cruise control. 18 months of life living in the midst of the enemy. 18 months of life in neutral, and David doesn't know this. Saul is about to die, and he is about to ascend to the throne of Israel. He has no idea. And I love that the Lord does this for him, and I love that the Lord does this for you and I. This is the gospel. How many times over the years has the Lord worked in your life to wake you up for what he has in store next? So chapter 30, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. So here's David. Now they return home after they'd been summoned to join King Achish. Shouldn't have been there in the first place with the Philistine army. And they had left their homes unprotected, left their wives unprotected, left their children without protection. And the Amalekites, the ancient enemy of Israel, had taken advantage it was so easy for the enemy that no one even needed to die. That's what this text tells us. The wives, the children were kidnapped, and David and his men return home, and they find everything burning. Their house is on fire. Amalekites were the first people. Let me just remind you who they were. They were the first people to attack the, the, the children of Israel when they escaped from slavery in Egypt. It was the Amalekites in that famous battle where Joshua was down in the valley fighting against them and Moses was up on the hillside with his staff raised. And he, he had to have his arms held up. And as his staff was held up, the Amalekites were defeated by Joshua. It was the Amalekites that Samuel had ordered Saul to wipe out and Saul had disobediently uh, not followed through on the command of the Lord and it had cost him. The Amalekites illustrate the attacks of the flesh in Scripture. Just as Saul illustrates, we've talked about this, just as Saul illustrates the man of the flesh, the Amalekites illustrate the attacks of the flesh. And way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we talked about when this fleshly king had to battle this fleshly enemy. It was not going to be good. But now we got God's choice for a king. And so David is going to have a conflict with the fleshly enemy. Now, verse three, when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Wow, what a scene. These are battle-hardened men, men of valor. And David and his men grieve at this point to the point of exhaustion. They've got nothing left. Verse 5. 
David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, if you got a pen in your hand, verse 6, the last sentence needs to be underlined. This is the key to this whole story. This is the key to this whole text, this whole chapter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. The men were actually speaking of stoning him, how quickly they had turned, his own men. David's between the rock and the hard place. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. I was thinking about this. It reminded me of the old, you know, Robin Williams, Peter Pan movie. I don't know if you recall that one, but Robin Williams played Peter Pan in this movie. I don't know, maybe I'm dating myself here. Uh, and he had turned into a grown-up, you know? He had turned into a grown-up. He had children of his own, a career of his own, and it had been a lifetime since he had been in Never Never Land. And when he returned to Never Never Land, whatever the circumstances were around it, the scene that I remember is this, is that all his old companions meet him, and he's this middle-aged man, a little overweight, and cheeks a little fuller than they used to be, and they said, you're not Peter Pan. And then one of those young boys goes to him and starts pressing his face and looking at him. And then he says, Peter, there you are. There you are. This is that moment for David, church. The men were speaking of stoning David, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. There you are, man of God. There you are, David, 18 months living in the, amongst the enemies of the people of God. And here, this is the man of God surfacing. Reminds me of Elijah running from Jezebel after defeating the 400 prophets of Baal. And the Lord had to say to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And the Lord said to him, Elijah, come out of the cave and stand at the mouth of the cave. I'm about to pass by. That great account, that great narrative from 1 Kings. And there came a strong wind and it tore the mountain to pieces and broke rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the word of God tells us the Lord wasn't in the wind. Then there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a, a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire, we read. And then after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard the sound of a low whisper, he, he wrapped his face with his cloak and he stepped out before the Lord. And the Lord had to say to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? But Lord, but, 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 I'm the only one left. The Lord had to say to him, Elijah, I have preserved 7,000 who have not bent the knee. Elijah, go and anoint Elisha, prophet. Elijah, go and anoint Hazel, king of Syria. In other words, as the Lord says to him, what are you doing here? Elijah, I need to let you know I'm not done with you. The work is not done. You are to do things for the kingdom of God yet. 
And here's David hiding out in fear amongst the Philistines, in many ways living a lie. What is this Hebrew doing there? And he comes to this point where his strength fails. Church, see this? The point of absolute emotional exhaustion. Strength gone. But you know, this is a good place. Because when our strength fails, God's strength can take over. David had finally, after 18 months, come to the end of himself. God and his providence had protected him. God had rescued him from fighting amongst the Philist- alongside the Philistines. God had gathered men to him like an army. An army of God was beginning to form. David comes home. He finds his family kidnapped. It's like God is saying to him, David, where are you? And then in verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Oh, there you are. There you are, man of God. There you are, David. You know, I think one of the challenges of this text is to ask ourselves this. Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Because when our strength fails, God's strength can take over. Where are you, men of God? Where are you, women of God? There is a battle to be fought. Our families need to be rescued. The flesh has to be fought. But first, you have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's amazing to me that when I look at David, as much as we love David in Scripture and the shots that we do take at him from time to time, one of the things that astonishes me about this account is that even David benched himself. (laughs) Even David took up a spot on the bench. You know, I remember when I was uh, uh, playing minor hockey, my first year of playing bantam hockey, we had a killer team here on the Sunshine Coast. And we went, uh, we went like, we only had three losses all year. I was a goalie. And uh, I'd split duties with the Cree in the crease. And the other goalie had one loss, and I had one loss. And the last game of the season, we went to Squamish. I hate Squamish, by the way. <laughs> so glad minor hockey's over, and I don't have to go back to Brennan Park, Sean. Had a lot of painful ones there over the years. Boy, I was in, I was in that that day. And a puck crossed the blue line, and I had that hesitation moment. I thought, I'm going to rush after this puck. So I left my crease. I skated towards the puck. I beat the man there that was coming, bearing down on me. I got the puck, and I flung it out of the zone to hit him square in the chest and to lose my footing and to drop on my butt (laughs) 40 feet away from my net and watched him just slide the puck in and then stand over me and laugh and laugh and laugh. It was awful, and I couldn't pull myself out of it, to be honest. It was like the perfect season ending in the most awful way, and puck after puck went behind me, and finally, I skated to the bench, and I said, Coach, you got to put me on the bench, man, and the other goalie went into the net. David benched himself here. He had been benched to this point in time. Fear of man had led him to hide out amongst the enemies of God's people. But finally, the wake-up point is this. When he came to the end of himself, he strengthened himself in the Lord. 
And I think to myself, I wonder what that means. Like, what does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? I think it means this, to return to trust. Return to trust. Reinstate your trust in the Lord. David had to say to his soul, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in the Lord. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Has not the Lord delivered you from the bear and the lion? Did not the Lord hand the giant into your hand and you defeated him with a sling and a stone? Did not the Lord take you from the shepherd's field to serve in the palace of the king? Did not the prophet of the Lord anoint you to be the next king of Israel? Has the Lord set his heart on you? Did he not deliver you from the hand of every enemy? Has the snare entangled you? No, the Lord has been on your side. Has the fowler trapped you? No, the Lord has been on your side. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why the turmoil within me? Hope in God, because I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He returned to trust. He got up off the bench and shook off the dust and returned to trust. There you are, man of God. And I love this story because this is the hour of David's return to God, even after he had benched himself. Now check it out, verse 7. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. This is important. This is an important decision by David. See, David strengthened himself in the Lord, and then David inquired of the Lord. Strengthened in the Lord first and then inquired of the Lord. That means that after David had strengthened himself, he was now in the position to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want your servant to do? See, the return to trust is the precursor to action. The return to trust is the precursor to action. You can't say, Lord, what do you want me to do if you're not in a position of trusting him? And so David, after his return to trust, strengthening himself in the Lord, he says this, let's get the priest, get the ephod, which was used to determine the will of the Lord. And the Lord told him, go and confront the enemy. Now verse 9, so David set out and 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and they brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? He 
said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negeb of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negeb of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he answered, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. So this is, this is amazing. The Lord's just leading this. Here's a servant of the Amalekites left in the wilderness to die. And David says, do you know where they are? And he says, yep. Can you take me to them? Yes, I can. Insider information. God, God blesses him with this man who can lead him right, to the straight of, right straight into the enemy camp. Verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, there were spread abroad over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoils or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Now, this is amazing, isn't it? Everything is recovered. Boy, this just seemed like the worst situation possible, but no one is now missing. No thing is missing. And David strikes down the Amalekites. This is the picture of a, a faithful king in contrast to Saul. Verse 21. Then David came to 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and his children and depart. Verse 23, and David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is, who goes down into battle, so shall his share be, who stays by the baggage. Baggage, They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from the day forward to this day. Now, it's amazing to me that even in the midst of this victory, there was dissension in the ranks. Here it's between those who won the battle and those who were too exhausted to join them and had stayed behind to look after the baggage. And the victors questioned, should they share in the spoil with those who had been unable to join them on the front lines? And David steps in and he says, this is the Lord's victory. And each man will share equally in the victory. And he made it a rule in all Israel that even... The one who stayed with the baggage would receive an equal share with him who had gone to the front line. It's amazing. I, 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 the Lord's like reminding me of something as I'm standing up here, actually. I've been reading some church history lately, been really interested in that. And 
thinking about different times, you know, history repeats itself, and we're in one of these seasons right now, and one of those times was during the Roman Empire with the Christians. There was a, a festival in which uh, Rome celebrated the thousandth anniversary of the city of Rome. And it was a, a big festival and a big party, and the Christians didn't participate in what was going on. And so the uh, Roman emperor, Decius, um, what happened was a plague broke out in the city of Rome, and he determined that because the Christians had not participated with the Romans and everything that was going on in this celebration, that the Christians were at fault for not worshiping the Roman gods. And he began a, a, a violent persecution against followers of Jesus Christ. And very bizarre, he, re, he, required, he required every citizen be registered and that they carry a certificate that they had burned incense to the pagan Roman gods. And so Christians that didn't want to participate failed to carry this certificate and they were persecuted violently. You can read about it in in history, it's, it's very interesting. And one of the things that happened amongst the church when this whole scene came to an end was that you had Christians that had burned incense and you had Christians who had not burned incense. And there was a battle amongst the church. They said, well, those guys burned incense. They can't come and worship with us anymore. They're not true Christians. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And it took leadership from the church to say, no, no, no. Anyone who confesses Christ, we welcome. Anyone who confesses Christ. We all share equally in Christ, whatever decision people make. And I love here that David says, you know, look at, yeah, some went to the front lines, some didn't. But in the end, it's the Lord's victory. Everyone shares in the same, the same victory of the Lord. He, he made it a rule in Israel. That the one who stayed with the baggage received equal share with him who went to the front line. F.B. Meyer, uh, old Bible commentator that I love, he said this. He that lays hold of God's strength will be courteous in his behavior to the weak and weary. He that lays hold of God's strength will be courteous in his behavior to the weak and weary. And David could have compassion on those who were with the baggage because he was cognizant of his own weakness. It made him gracious to others in their weakness. And so he insisted there is equality in the share of the spoils amongst the people of God. And I love this because, you know, there are times when you can feel like, man, Lord, what am I contributing to the kingdom? I had this dream. I had this vision, you know. Maybe you wanted to go do missions or do this or do that for the kingdom of God and those dreams were never fulfilled and you go, man, I hungered for the front line and now I feel like I've spent my life looking after baggage. The rule of God's kingdom is this, that he who is on the back line and he who is on the front line share in the same reward. We share in the victory of the Lord. My brother makes me laugh. You know, my brother's a copper and most of our family's in some sort of ministry stuff. And he says, well, somebody's got to have a real job to pay the bills. 
I'll say, yeah, man, I, you're, okay, fair enough, you know. We share in the same reward, the victory of the Lord. And this is David's victory, and his thankfulness and victory led to practical fruit. He shared with everyone. In fact, this text goes on to tell us that he shared the spoils of war, not just with those who stayed behind, but he shared gifts with any that had showed kindness to him over the years. Over the years, when David had been on the run from Saul, many had shielded him, shielded him, many had provided for him, many had shared with him, and gratitude is a, is a good trade. It's the trade of a good king. Gratitude is a noble quality, a virtuous quality, and, and David shared that which he had with others. And it led to great joy. Check it out. Verse 26. We'll read through to the end of the chapter. It says, when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth, of the Negeb, in Jatir, in Eror, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoah, in Rakal, in the cities of the Jermalites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borashan, in Athak, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Man, this is a man. He's woken up. There you are, man of God. There you are. And in the victory of the Lord, he says, man, I can't believe it. 18 months running and living in fear. God wakes him up and he says, let me share the spoils of what I've experienced. God is good. You know, I love this because Samuel had warned the people of Israel when they had taken a king, when they had demanded a king. He said this to them, the king that you choose will take and he will take and he will take and he will take and he will take from you. But David was God's choice for king. A king who gives and gives and gives. A generous ruler. And this is where David is such an awesome picture of Jesus, isn't he? Church, Jesus is a king who gives and gives and gives and gives. Where are you? Where are you, men of God? Where are you, women of God? When our strength fails, God's strength can take over. And I take great encouragement in the fact that even David benched himself until the Lord got his attention. And if we're going to be men and women of action, it's going to require this. We have to return to trust. When our strength fails, God's strength can take over, return to trust because it is the precursor of action. And may the Lord make you and I men and women of action.